And I had the opportunity a couple years ago to speak to a room full of pastors about reaching the next generation. And as I did this, I studied a lot on how much time we have, we actually have, at this time we were youth pastoring, how much time we actually had with students, right? Because we had students coming from rough homes, different situations, right? And how much time do we actually have with them before we send them back home? And I totaled up the amount of hours, if a kid is like pretty diligent at church, the amount of hours that we actually see them in a 365-day year. And if you total up those amount of hours, it pretty much came to seven full days. So out of 365 days of the year, we were spending about seven full days with these students. That's all we had, right? If you go to church camp and you're with them day and night, so maybe about 14 days if people go to church camp. That's how many full hours we were having with our students. And so as a youth pastor, I had to really think about what are we doing during these seven days, these hours that we have, because they matter, right? And I started really understanding that, one, what happens all the other hours matter a lot, right? And I think a lot of us get into this mindset, well, if I just go to church an hour every week, my life's going to be transformed, right? We get into this mindset, but it doesn't work like that, right? And also, I had to really dive into how do we get our students to have a teachable heart? Because you could come to church, they could spend those seven full days and nights with us, but if their heart isn't teachable, it was for nothing. And so how do we, as adults, as young people in the room, how do we come into moments with the Lord? How do we open our scripture and know that we have a teachable heart? So today we're just going to be diving into this. If you want to turn your Bible to Matthew 13, this is where we're going to be reading out of today. And I'm just going to read it. And then we're going to break it down. It says this, later the same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath. Wait, just a second. Ugh, I had to put my glasses on earlier because I'm having a hard time seeing. I think I need a, a better prescription. Anyway, seeds fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlining rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among the thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. We see a few things in this passage, right? We see that one, it's a farmer who is planting the seeds. So this is not a farmer issue. The fact that he's saying that a farmer was planting seeds is pretty much saying that he was an experienced seed planter. Like a farmer knows how to plant for a crop. So it wasn't a farmer problem. The other thing is it wasn't a seed problem. We see that the seed worked. The seed grew a crop. It was not a seed problem. But how many know, especially us as Christians, we love to blame the farmer and the seed. Well, the pastor today just, you know, I didn't get anything out of it. Well, that part of scripture I just don't really know about. So I think I'm just going to skip over that part, right? But, you know, it's not a farmer problem. Yes, we should be teaching good things. Yes, our pastor should be learning and growing and speaking and taking classes. But, like, it's not a farmer problem in this passage, and it's not a seed problem. It's not a message problem. It was a soil 
problem. It was a receiver problem. It's a soil issue. The soil had not been cultivated, and it wasn't teachable. I remember I used to go through the season when we were first married. I wanted plants, like, so badly, which I'm still not good at growing plants, and I just don't care anymore. But I really wanted to, like, have all these pretty plants around the house, and they just would die, which if you don't know this, I don't know if the Lowe's here does it, but the Lowe's where we used to live, if your plant died, you got another plant for free. So, like, I was, like, constantly, like, killing and getting plants. Like, that was just my thing. Like, hey, this one died. Can I have one? Like, oh, this one died. Can I have one? And I just wasn't understanding. Like, I'm doing everything it's telling me to do. Like, I'm putting it in the sunlight when it needs to be in the sunlight. I'm watering it the amount of times it's needing to be watered. And they keep dying until I realized, I'll never forget it, I was standing in line at Lowe's with my dead plant, and I looked over and saw all these soils that had all this nutrient stuff in it. And I'm like, oh, the soil matters? Like, I didn't know the soil mattered. And I just realized, like, I've been using soil from, like, the dead plants, just reusing them in a different bucket so I didn't spend money. Like, all this stuff. But how many of us know the soil matters? We came home from vacation, which this is so gross. We came home from vacation one day, and we came into our house, and there was, like, all these gnats on our table. And me and TD were just standing there like, wait, what happened while we were gone? Like, we left, everything's fine, now there's gnats. So we were, like, like, going through our house, like, what? How could this happen? Like, what is this? And I had a huge plant in the corner, and we're noticing, oh, my gosh, there's gnats around this plant. And then we look in the soil of the plant, and there were, like, little worms all in the soil. And I'll, TD, I mean, TD's, like, a clean freak. I mean, he was, like, get it out of the house! Get it out of the house! But you know what I had done? I had reused soil once again so that I could save money. But we do the same thing. Well, it's easier if I just replant that in this, right? It's easier to not deal with the soil. Even if the, fl the flower still looks pretty, people won't know that the soil has worms in it. But we live our lives like this, right? Well, the flower's pretty. I come to church on Sundays, but I'm not learning anything. I serve on Sundays, but I mean I don't have a servant's heart, right? We can be pretty flowers, and the soil be full of worms because the soil matters. We must tend to the soil. So we are going to go on. It starts going down in verse 18 when Jesus begins to explain this is what this parable means. So in verse 18, we're going to pick up and it says, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, and even 100 times as had been planted. Man, the soil matters. So we're going to break it down today. These are the four types of soil that it's talked about here and how we as people can cultivate a healthy soil, a teachable heart, that when God speaks, 
We hear, we take it in, and we understand it. When we are reading our scripture, we have healthy soil to receive it, to take it in, and to grow it. So here's the things. The first type of soil, and I'm just going to read the passage. This is how the message says exactly what we just read. In verses 18 and 19, it says this. Study, study this story of the farmers planting seed. When anyone hears news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of the person's heart. This is the seed the farmer scatters on the road. So the first thing we see is that the soil is hard. It doesn't take it in. So our job then is to evaluate our soil. Look, you aren't changed by sitting here this morning. You're not saved by attending church. You aren't transformed by listening to worship music. The soil has the ability to not take it in. It's possible to sit here every single week and the seeds still remain in the, surf- in the on the surface. And we have to understand this. If we're, we're Christians that really want to go deep with the Lord, we have to understand this. That I can come to church every single week, listen to worship music 24-7 every time I drive somewhere, be in the company of people that speak truth, and still never be changed. That's possible. Our soil can be hard, and this must cause us to take notice. It must, because it's just not as simple as church attendance. It's not as simple as being told the truth. It has to be taken in. Look, all the time Jesus spoke and it fell on deaf ears. And that's Jesus speaking, the Son of God speaking, and it fell on deaf ears. Look, I think being in the company of Christians, sitting in church, all of these things will grow us and change us, but we can't be ignorant to the fact that our soil matters, that our soil matters. In Matthew 1.22, it says this, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free and you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I love the message says it this way. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you are a listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. I love this. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're a listener just because you're hearing. Right? We all know this. Like, your husband's watching sports and you're trying to talk to him. And it's like, hello, I'm talking to you. And you know the moment when he actually hears you. Right? Like ten times you've said it and you're like, oh, okay, you heard me. You heard me. Right? We could do the same thing with the Lord, right? Be sitting right in front of him and he's speaking and speaking and we're just like, right? We have to hear and take in. Don't fool yourself into thinking you're a listener when you're anything but. We must evaluate the soil this morning. There are so many ways to have healthy soil, but we have to know what we're starting with. Look, I watch this thing when I'm like, you know, trying to figure out all this when I'm studying for this message and I watch this video with this like, farmer guy who lives like out in the country and 
he showed what he started with. It was like his backyard, and it was just like tough ground. Like he was jumping up and down on the shovel, trying to get the shovel to go in the ground, and it was so hard that the shovel wouldn't even go in the ground. But you know what's crazy is after like a year of him cultivating this and having people come help him, he had a beautiful garden. I mean, a beautiful garden, and he started with horrible, like, dry dirt. Like, it can't even be considered soil. So this morning, man, God is the master gardener. So if you can acknowledge this morning, man, I think my soil has gotten hard. That's the place to start because now God can deal with what you are giving him. But we must evaluate the soil and let the master gardener Do what he can do. We cannot fool ourselves into thinking we're listeners when we're anything but. It leads to the second kind of soil, which is in verses 20 and 21, and it says this. The seed cast in the gravel. This is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm. But there is no soil of character. And so when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there is nothing to show for it. This is soil that is rocky and is shallow. We must cultivate the soil. The very definition of cultivate is this, to prepare, to loosen, to break up the soil, to foster growth, to cultivate oysters for pearls, to improve by labor, care, and study. Man, we have to cultivate the soil, to break it up, to dig down deep, to loosen things that have become hardened, to study, to care, to labor for the soil. There was no soil of character and no deep roots. And we have to have character, deep roots, a soil that is not shallow and rocky before the storm comes. Right before the heat of the sun is beating down on us, we have to have cultivated the soil. And I think many times we convince ourselves that when the trial comes, then I will cultivate my soil, but right now I'm going to chill. But it doesn't work like that, right? Because when the storm comes, if you're not planted deep and you're in rocky, shallow soil, you will die. Young people, hear me in the room this morning. You do not have to have a season of sowing your wild oats. Hear me. You do not. That is a lie. I did not. I've sinned. I still sin and have to deal with it and grow and work, but I did not have a season of rebelling against the Lord simply because I was a teenager. And you do not have to. You can start cultivating a soil today. Because when the storms of life hit, I want you to be ready. You do not have to learn through experience. You can learn from wisdom. And wisdom says that you at 10, at 11, at 12, at 15, 16, can start cultivating a soil that will set you up for life. Cultivate today before you need it tomorrow. Because you do not know what Monday holds. We don't know what we're going to face tomorrow. So we have to cultivate today. Cultivate character today. If the soil's shallow, man, dig deep today. Get the rocks out. Deal with your stuff. But we love to cultivate shallow. And I think that our culture just like breeds this, right? We do a lot of shallow cultivating, a cultivating of morality. Like if my morals and my morality is good, 
if the surface is good, who cares if there's worms living in the soil, right? If my morals are in place and my behavior is okay, then I must be healthy. But as I said earlier, look, you can serve every single Sunday and never have a servant's heart. And you know what God cares about? The servant's heart. God cares about what's in the soil because he knows that it sets us up for success. The soil matters. We have to cultivate a character, not behavior, but who we are. Not what we do, but why we do what we do. We have to cultivate a deep character. Matthew 23, 25 through 26 says this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and plate, and the outside also may be clean. Man, we love to start with the plant, but we've got to start with the soil. Cultivating a deep soil, the inside of the cup, the reason to be why we do what we do, who we are at the depth of who we are, and letting God transform those rocks, those shallow places. It's a lot easier to focus on morality, right? We can check a box, like, okay, well, I didn't smoke today, I didn't cuss today, I was nice today, like, you know, we can check those boxes. But did I see people the way God saw people today? Did I have love in my heart towards that person who's hard to love? Those are easier tasks. Those are harder tasks, right? Because if we're honest, like, no, a lot of times. No, I, I spoke love to that person, but inside I was like, get out of here. Like, I don't want to deal with you, right? Those things are harder to dig up in us, but we have to have a deep, healthy soil. Second Peter 1, 5 through 9 says this, don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Complementing your basic faith with good character, spiritual understanding, alert discipline, passionate patience, reverent wonder, warm friendliness, and generous love. Each dimension fitting into and developing the others. With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. No day will pass without its reward as you mature in your experience of our master Jesus. Without these qualities, you can't see what's right before you. Oblivious to what that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. I love this because it says continuing to grow, right? The saying that, well, that's just how I am, doesn't work. Hear me. As Christians, we can't get away with that saying, well, that's just how I am, so you've got to accept it. No, as Christians, what does it say? We should be growing in character, complementing our faith. Spiritual understanding, warm friendliness, generous love. Look, this is not explaining a person that just exists. Nobody could just be like, well, that's how I am. I'm warm friendliness and passionate patience and generous love and spiritual understanding. No. We have to work towards these things and keep developing them. We are called to continue to grow. To grow and to keep growing, to develop and cultivate character. It's a never-ending process if you are walking with the Lord today. You do not get to cop out and just say, well, it's who I am. No, because God's transforming who we are into who he is. 
cultivate the soil today and don't lose a minute. Don't lose a minute because you may need those deep roots tomorrow. The next soil is this in verse 22. The seed cast in the weeds is the person who hears the kingdom news, but weeds of worry and illusion. Man, we've all been here, right? But weeds of worry and illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard and nothing comes of it. This is a soil that's full of weeds. In the other translation we read, it said that they were, they were surrounded by thorns. This is a soil of weeds and thorns. So we must tend to the weeds. Look, I've learned since having, we bought a house that has so much garden stuff in the back. Which when we moved in, it was beautiful. So I was like, oh, okay, I just got to water this stuff, right? No, you got to pull weeds all the time. Like at the end of last season, my parents had to come, and we spent an entire day of them just being like, well, let's pull all the weeds you didn't pull this year. So my poor mom and dad, while me and TD were like, what do we do? Where do we go? Go over here. Okay, give you this. Give you the shovel. Pulled all of these weeds. This year, I know, I have to actually pull weeds throughout the season. We have to continue to tend to the weeds we cannot ignore them, or they will destroy you. Like, this isn't just in here for no reason. It can destroy you. So what is it strang what's strangling you today? Is it worry, anger, pride, unforgiveness, fear, lust, envy, wealth, gossip, judgment? What are the weeds in your life today? What makes it hard for you to hear from the Lord? What are those things when you sit in church or when you're reading your word that Satan continually fills your mind with, right? Fear, does God love me? Am I unforgiven? Or are you just so bitter at people that you can't even read the word because you're so blinded by bitterness and anger and unforgiveness? Like what are the weeds in our life? Matthew 18, 8 says this, if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Whoa! But the point of this passage, right, is not self-mutilation. Like, well, I better go home and cut my hand off. No, the point of this is a radical amputation. Like, get rid of it before it brings about death in your life. But many of us are fooled, and we think self, like, radical amputation means I've just got to stop it. I've just got to stop doing drugs. I just have to stop. Stop speaking that way. I just have to stop looking at pornography. You know what's radical amputation? If you struggle with pornography today, this is radical amputation. You come to someone, you confess and repent of it, you get accountable, and then you put guards on your computer to where every time you go to a website, your friends get emailed. That exists. My husband did that for a long time, not because he struggled, but because he wanted to have accountability in his life. That's radical amputation. That's saying, I'm going to get accountable and get past these weeds in my life. I'm going to do whatever it takes, but a lot of us take the easy road of like, I'm just going to stop it and not tell anyone, and hopefully it just works out. 
And before we know it, the weeds have destroyed our life. If it causes you to sin, get rid of it. Get radical. Look, where sin abounds this morning, grace abounds all the more. I have never had a person confess to me where I thought, oh, shame on you. You know what I've had when people confess to me? Dang, me too, I got stuff too. You know, we're so scared of like what's God going to say, what's people going to say. And God's grace abounds all the more. God wants healing for you. He wants freedom for you. He wants health for you. His grace abounds all the more. But hear me this morning, church, our sin matters. And we better deal with it because it will kill us. If we don't deal with soil, it will harden our soil to a point that we don't hear from the Lord anymore. And let me tell you, church, that is a dangerous place to be. Scripture talks many times about those who have hardened hearts. Don't think you can't get there. Man, we need to be quick to repent, quick to come forward, to deal with our weeds. God's grace is a big deal. But he had to come and die on a cross because sin was a big deal. We must tend to the soil. Be quick to recognize the weeds. Repent. Pull them up. And enjoy the grace that God offers. Man, we get to celebrate in the fact that sin does not own our lives. So let's not live under it. Right? We don't have to live under the weight of sin because Christ has given us another way. And it's a good way. The other translation says that it fell among thorns. My question this morning is what are you surrounded by? If the seed falls and your soil's decent, what are you surrounded by? What environment do you live in? Have you planted yourself among the thorns? Psalms 1 says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates in his law day and night. The person is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Man, where do you sit, stand, and walk this morning? Who are you living life with? Who are you letting your guard down with? Like when I think about this, man, I think about the time when you come home from work and you automatically like put your jammies on, you sit at the table with your family. Like who are you doing that with? Who are you living life with? Where are you planted? I'm just going to go through a few verses. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Psalms 26 says, I did not sit with liars, and I will not be found among hypocrites. I have hated the mob of evildoers and will not sit with wicked people. Proverbs 22, 24 says this, do not be a friend of one who has a bad temper, and never keep company with a hothead, or you will learn his ways and set a trap for yourself. 1 Corinthians 5, 11 says, now what I meant was that you should not associate with people who call themselves brothers or sisters in Christian faith, but live in sexual sin, are greedy, worship false gods, are abusive language, get drunk, or are dishonest. Don't eat with such people. Our scripture says this. 
Who do we sit, stand, and walk with? Look, yes, God can be found among sinners. Like Christ walked, ate with sinners. He came to this earth, descended down for sinners. He loves sinners. He loves me and you. He's died for sin to not cover us, to not own us. But let me tell you this, Jesus chose his crew. And you know what? He said, if you want to follow me, if you want to hang with me, if you want to spend every day with me, give up everything, and then you can be a part of my crew. But we love the narrative of like, oh, I just am hanging out with sinners, sharing life with sinners, letting them speak into my life, letting them give me good advice, letting them know everything about me. You know what I'm saying? We should be in the midst. Look, if you only have Christian friends, that's a problem. But who are the people that you sit with, that you let your guard down with, that you share your struggles with? Look, we should love people and spend time with people who are not like us, who think differently than us. But hear me this morning. Who do we sit, stand, and walk with? Who is your crew? If I could only explain to you, look, we've been pastoring or in a position of ministry for like, I don't know, 10, 15 years. If I could only explain to you the amount of people who I've heard this from, who aren't living up to their potential, who are continuing to struggle with the same amount of sin, the same sins they've always struggled with, and I ask them, who are your friends? And they tell me this, exact same thing every time. People I'm comfortable with and who don't judge me. Okay. Because comfort and change usually don't go hand in hand. I'm just going to be honest. We love to sit at tables with people who have the same struggles, the same vices, the same weeds that we have, and we're comfortable in it. But let me tell you something this morning, church. If your sin is comfortable at the table you sit at, you might want to choose a different table. Because we got to grow. We got to change. We're headed towards an eternal life of heaven or hell. Like, we've got to be diligent about the weeds. We've got to care about the soil. Look, it's not good to be comfortable in dysfunction. To only surround yourself with people who think like you, sin like you, have the same vices as you. Don't ever critique you or call you out. It's not good to be comfortable with unhealth or sit with people that make your sin feel comfortable. Look, I'm not talking about sitting with people who are like goody two-shoes and call you out every time you say one thing wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about people who are in relationship with you, who see your life, and who say, man, Callie, like, you got to work on this. Yeah. Thank you. Right? Thank you because you care about my well-being and my relationship with the Lord and my eternity. Thank you. We should be, look, we should be uncomfortable with our sin. That should make us uncomfortable. There is beauty in the fact that our flaws and our humanity and our weakness makes us strong in the Lord. Like, we should rejoice in that. But we shouldn't get that confused with being comfortable with our sin. Sin is not okay. <laughs> Many times people sit just where they're comfortable. The other day I was sitting in a staff meeting, and this is just being really honest with you guys, and... I'm sitting in a staff meeting, and I start talking about somebody who's not sitting at the table with us. And my husband 
like, shut it down. <laughs> like, he was like, you are not talking about someone at this table when they are not sitting here. Like, this is not what we do. This is not how we behave. And was that uncomfortable? Yes. I got called out in front of our staff by my husband, right? Did I cry? Yes. I cried in front of our entire staff because I felt so convicted. But you know what? That's a good table to be at. And look, I'm not telling you every time I say something, my husband's like, stop it, stop it. That's not how this works, right? The people Jesus surrounded himself with were a little bit crazy too. It's not like he only surrounded himself with goody two-shoe perfect people, right? But they were people who wanted to move forward. And my table, that table of staff, we want to move forward. We want to move forward. We don't want to get caught up in the sin, in the weeds, in the thorns. But many of us choose the comfortable table instead of the table that leads to growth. Look, comfort doesn't always usually equate good. If we're not careful, we become very comfortable in dysfunction, and we don't even know it's dysfunctional because everyone around us is dysfunctional. We have to get uncomfortable. Before me and TD dated, I had one other, like, serious relationship that lasted years, and it was a Christian relationship. But there was so much, so much dysfunction, right? It was up and down. It was hot. It was cold. I was always like, okay, you love me, you don't. Oh, my gosh. Like, it was so unhealthy, right? But I had begun in my mind to think it was actually healthy because it was passionate, right? I had replaced unhealth with the word passionate. And then I started dating TD, and I was not like, do you like me? Do you not? Do you like me? Do you not? I was like, dang, he really likes me. He really likes me. Oh, okay. But you know what happened? Like a month or so into us dating, I kind of started getting bored. Because I was like, wait, where's the drama? Like, do we not have passion? Like, are we, why aren't we fighting? Like, do I not really like him because we're not screaming at each other? Like, I'm confused, right? And I'll never forget it. I forget where, I remember where I was sitting in my bedroom at the time when the Lord said, you need to start praying that you desire health. Because you desire unhealth right now. And I did. I started praying, God, help me to desire health. Because I had become and lived in something for so long that I actually started equating dysfunction with functional. Unhealth with health. I had replaced back and forth, up and down with passionate. Right? But that's what happens in our lives. You sit at a dysfunctional table for so long you begin to think it's actually functional. You sit at a comfortable table for so long and you start actually thinking that it's healthy. And you know what? You know when my relationship with TD stopped being so boring? Not that it was really that boring, but I did struggle with that because I was like used to drama. When I started seeing the fruits of health, when I started seeing that this man's going to be a great dad, he's going to take care of me, he treats other people well, he treats every type of person well, not just a certain type of person. I never have to question his love for me. I never have to wonder what he's doing when he's gone or stays out later, right? I begin to understand, wait, this is, I'm seeing the fruits of health, right? But I had to learn and seek and pray that God would help me desire health. We've got to choose our table. Look, some of us in the room this morning, 
you are single and you have gotten to a point where you're like, well, as long as he's got a job, because I live in Ponca City, so like as long as he's got a job, I'll take him. <laughs> Stop it! <laughs> That's going to be the father of your children. Stop it! And if you think that way, look, I'm not like slamming you today. I understand that thought process because it is hard. And you don't have a lot of options if we're just being real. <laughs> I got an amen over there. But let me tell you this. If you've started to think like that, be honest with yourself. If you've started to lower your standards just because you need a companion, you know what? Get to the table with people who have good, healthy, thriving marriages and start to raise your expectations and raise your hope. If your marriage is struggling, stop just sitting at the table with other people who, whose marriages are struggling. Start sitting at the table with people who have healthy marriages so you can learn and grow and be challenged. Look, if you hate your spouse this morning, stop hanging out with only people who hate their spouses because that is not healthy. One of the things I hated more than anything is the older people when I was getting married who loved to tell me all the jokes about how horrible marriage is. Oh, well, it's a life sentence. Oh, da, 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 da. But you know what? When my friends get married, you know what I do? I text them. It is the most awesome thing I have ever done. The best decision of my life. I couldn't have picked a better spouse. God has ordained this. I love this. And you know what? It's true. So if you have started believing that that can't exist for you, that that doesn't exist, get to the table with who people who it does exist with. It does exist. If you struggle with alcohol this morning, stop sticking at the table with other alcoholics all the time. Get to a table with people who don't drink. And let me tell you, it might be boring at first because you might be like, this is a different life. But you know when it'll stop being boring? When you start seeing the health in your life. When you start seeing the fruits of the table that you're sitting at. But it's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable to be used to talking bad about your spouse and then start hanging out with people who don't do that. It's uncomfortable because you want to do it. <laughs> and you don't do it, so I can't do that. Like, ah, right? That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable if you're used to hanging out with your buddies and just drinking to start hanging out in a home where there's no alcohol and be like, so wait, we're just going to, like, talk? <laughs> we're just going to, like, watch a movie? Like, you know, that's uncomfortable because it's a new way of living. But we have to get to the table not that's comfortable, but that brings health. In Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Iron sharpening iron is not an easy, comfortable experience, right? That is a painful, burning, and pounding down experience. But it's what friends do for one another. Another place in Proverbs, it says, a wound from a friend is better than a kiss from the enemy. Man, it is better to be at a table where you get corrected occasionally in love. I'm not talking about, don't hang out with people that are just like, duh, 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 like nobody wants that. But get to a table where your sin's not comfortable, where it's loved, it's covered, but it's spoken to. Because better is a wound from a friend than a kiss from an enemy. Some of us hold ourselves back because comfort's the priority. Comfort's keeping us from growing. We're comfortable hiding in the weeds and the thorns. Because look, your soil can be decent. But if you're planted in the midst of weeds and thorns, every time you start to grow, you will get strangled. 
and we've all been there. I've had to cut several people out of my life at times who every time I dreamed, they would bring it down. No, you can't do that. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to live in California? Why would you want to go to Bible college? You're not going to make any money. Why would you want to go there? Why would you want to move to Ponca City? Right? I had to cut people out because I want to grow and you keep strangling me. Right? I'm not saying, like, just abandon all your friends because they suck. <laughs> but I'm saying, though, we got to be diligent with not, like, some of us keep growing and we're like, why can I never get to where God's called me? Why can I never get past this addiction? Why can I never stop gossiping? Well, because you hang out with gossipers. So, of course, you're going to gossip if all your lady friends gossip. Right? we got to pick the table that we sit at. If you plant yourself among thorns, don't be surprised when you never grow past a certain point. Period. Where are you planted today? Are you planted by streams of water that will cause you to grow? What weeds need to be tended to? The next oil and the last one is this. The seed cast on good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Man, this soil is fertile soil. So we have to fertilize our soil. And if you study fertile soil, I love it because this is what I was missing when I first decided to start gardening, is that fertile soil is not just soil that's missing the worms, right? Fertile soil is soil that has nutrients. I mean, there's a list of nutrients, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, an abundance of minerals, zinc, magnesium, boron, iron, sulfur, blah, blah, blah. goes on and on and on. It's not just a soil that's void of rocks and thorns, right? It's a soil that is filled with nutrients. If you lack rocks this morning and thorns, or maybe you're like, dang, I think I'm not planted among thorns, or I'm not full of rocks. Are you fertile this morning? Like, are you full of nutrients? Are you taking in the word of God daily? Man, are you filling yourself with hope and peace and good thoughts and positive thoughts and thoughts of a future and a hope? Are you having faith in God? Are you believing for things? Are you filling your life with good nutrients? Because that allows seeds to grow and multiply beyond our wildest dreams. Look, if you are healthy and changing and growing, you will create health and change in others. Multiplication begins in you. And I think we love the phrase of like, yeah, it begins with me. No, let me tell you, it begins in you. A lot of us want to like surpass the change part and just go to preaching. <laughs> let me tell you, I've never experienced that in my life. Like God always like changes me and it's painful and hurtful and then I get to preach about it. Like it begins in us. Look, there's a saying, hurt people hurt people. And that's a very true statement. Like if someone's hurting you, you can be pretty sure they're hurt. And that statement helps me. It helps me have compassion for where people are. Like you're hurting me because you're hurt too. Right? That's a true statement. But let me tell you this morning, healthy people make people healthy. Healed people heal people. Patient people make others patient. Grace-filled people create gracious atmosphere. Peaceful people create peace in others. Self-controlled people bring stability. Restored people restore others. Man, plants, they reproduce simply by growing. I love this. 
A plant reproduces simply by growing into its form and maturing, and then the bees and the wind replant it. But we love, or I think we get confused and are all about the restoring people thing, but we don't actually take the time to restore ourselves. We want to plant and reach people, but we don't actually want to grow into all that God's called us to be. And let me tell you, when you grow into all called, God's called you to be, when you start worrying about yourself and not others, when you start dealing with your own rocks and sin and weeds and thorns, and you start taking control of your life and having authority of God, let me tell you, the wind and the rain and the Holy Spirit is going to fertilize everything else. We just have to grow and change and tend to our soil. Our job is to grow. Producing a crop starts with us. Look, where does an orchard start with a seed? Right? With a seed that has been transformed, planted, and grown to who God's called it to grow into. Cultivate the soil. Man, loosen it. Dig things out. Repent. Evaluate the soil. And keep evaluating the soil. I think many times we get in the routine of life and we stop evaluating our relationship with the Lord. But look, seasons come, and seasons change, and things happen to us, and weather takes a toll, the heat of the sun takes a toll, the storm takes a toll, and we need to reevaluate, has my soil became hard? Has this last season caused my heart to become unteachable? Has this last season caused my heart to not soak in the seeds that God's taking? And look, if that's you, then just recognize it this morning and begin to move forward. Cultivate it, loosen it up, dig up those rocks, those things that have caused you become, to become hardened towards the Lord. But you got to deal with it because you will only become harder. Cultivate your soil, loosen it up, tend to the weeds, get out of the thorns, and then fertilize it. And if you continue to do this, if you continue to evaluate on a weekly, monthly basis, I don't care, continue to evaluate your soil Cultivate the soil, tend to the weeds and the thorns, and then pour in nutrients. If you continue to do that, you will grow. You will have a teachable heart. You will come into the Lord's presence yielded and open with fertile soil because you've thought about it. You've worked on it. And I promise you, if you do that, you will see others grow around you. You will see a harvest that is 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. We want the seed to be planted when we open the word, when we sit in community, when we walk through life. Look, I don't want you to waste your time here at church. I don't want you to go to a small group just to check it off. I want you to leave it different. I want to leave things different. I want to walk out the doors today different. But I have to be cultivating a teachable heart because, man, I want to make much of every seed God sows in my life. I want to make much of it. I don't want to waste it. I don't want it to fall on hard soil, on bitter soil, on angry soil, on soil that's full of weeds and in the midst of thorns. I want it to grow and create an orchard, because God's got plans for you. God's got hopes and futures and dreams for you. And if you've stopped dreaming, evaluate where you're at, because God's got dreams. I don't care if you're 70, 80, 90 in the room today. God's still got dreams, or you wouldn't be breathing. Don't buy in 
to the negative Nancys that surround you, if you are surrounded by Debbie Downers, get in the room with people who still dream. Because there's people that still do dream. Like, you don't have to sit at a table with Debbie Downer, people that just don't want to dream for themselves. You don't have to sit there. You can love on it. You can attend dinner there. But you don't have to sit there, right? We get to choose our life. One of my mentors always tell me, like, Callie, are you on the defensive or the offensive of your life? And most of the time I'm like, well, I'm on the defensive again. Like, right? But we can be on the offensive of our life. We get to choose who we sit with. You have control over that. We get to choose who we stand with. We get to choose who we walk with. We get to choose that. We can change it if we want to. God's given us authority over these things. So this morning, I just want us to dream again, to get in the room, to get to a place where our soil is fertile and ready for God to plant things and then grow and us see the city reached because we have dealt with ourselves.